This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I am joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing, mate? Oh, not bad, mate. How's things with yourself? Yes, good weekend. Grimsby won in the 90th minute and I threw absolute limbs when it went in at Meadow Lane, so that was fantastic. Um, it's given me a real spring in my step on Sunday. How are you? How, how's your weekend been in it overall? Oh, not bad, mate. Been working both days, but Wednesday got a nice away win. Keep the run going, so all good. Can't complain too much. Excellent. And of course, the FA Cup took centre stage this weekend, but we do have still plenty of championship games and action to talk through. Four games in total and obviously a big managerial change over at the Hawthorns, which we're all going to get into on this week's podcast. As always, a reminder to subscribe to this podcast feed wherever you find your usual podcasts available on all platforms and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. As I said, on today's podcast, we're going to be breaking down all the key talking points from the Championship weekend. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm going to start in the dugout, actually, and away from the, the action on the field after West Brom sacked Valerine Ismail last week after a pretty dismal run. And I think it was change that we were all anticipating to a certain extent. Um, the ex-Barnsley boss leaves seven months into a four-year deal, having been appointed in the summer. Of course, West Brom paid £2 million in compensation to get him out of his Barnsley contract. And no doubt they're going to have to pay more than £2 million to pay him off as well. It just hasn't worked out. Um, they've got 45 points after 29 games. In the same amount of games, he picked up 55 points with Barnsley last year, despite the obvious massive disparage in resources. And it's fair to say the the relationship with the fans was the undoing. The style of football, they just didn't take to it. Um, a big big fan of lunch and squish, as I would, rec- uh, as I would uh, call it, last season with Barnsley. With better technical players, it didn't wash, albeit they had a decent start to the season. Um, but I just think with a with a more and it, it wasn't quite as direct. I think it's fair to say well, it wasn't as direct as they were last season at Oakwell with better players. But I just don't think he was getting the best out of the attacking players they've got. I mean, Grady Dean Garner, Colin Grant, Callum Robinson. They've all had spells where they've really struggled under Ismail, and I don't think he's he's got enough out of that attacking talent. Ultimately, even players like Alex Mowat's looked a little bit off the boil at times this season, and then defensively. Although the defensive record at home was very good, I do think that away from home in particular, they looked really vulnerable to pacing behind. They played a high line, they try and press, but if that press isn't quite right and you're playing a high line with defenders that aren't blessed with pace, you're in trouble. And I think that's what caught out uh, West Brom a lot at times this season. I also think you can't you can't downplay the fact that going into nearly every single match in the Championship this season, West Brom are favourites. And obviously, even when Barnsley were fighting for the playoffs and finished fifth, that wasn't the case. And it's a completely different mentality shift. It's a different calibre of player, a different level of ego you have to manage as well. And it's a big statement for him to get sacked after only seven months. I have to say I'm surprised he got sacked, but not because I don't necessarily think it's the right decision, because I, I think... I think ultimately, I don't think there's any coming back from where he'd gone with the fans. Even if they'd gone on a winning run and strung four or five wins together, I don't think you come back from where they were at with the fans. I don't think you can repair that relationship. But I'm surprised the board 
having just gone through the January transfer window, but buying him Daryl DK for the best part of eight figures and giving him a four-year deal. I'm surprised the board was so happy to accept it had failed. I expected the board to persevere with that more. That's not saying they should have, and I think they've probably made the right decision. But I am still surprised they didn't persevere more because of the, as I say, going through the transfer window in January, giving him a four-year deal, buying Daryl DK, who was a very good championship striker, but ultimately is completely suited and tailor-made for value in his male football. That's not to say that a new manager coming in won't get anything out of him, because he definitely will. But I am surprised by that, George. What was your reaction, first of all, to the Ismail departure? Well, I don't, I don't think you could be too surprised to the decision because the form had, had fallen off a cliff and not just in a little stage. It had been gradually declining for several weeks. And the fact that they scored seven goals in 11 games, I think they scored something like two in six at the end of his reign. It, I think it was time for a change. But like you say, the fact that they've cut ties so soon into a, into a long-term deal is, is surprising in the grand scheme of things. But West Brom have obviously looked at it and thought, whilst we've still got a chance of getting promotion this season, which is still very much very much realistic, that they felt that the best chance of achieving that was to make a change in the dugout, which is obviously what they've done. Valerie Ismail at the start of the season, I thought he went in there and, and West Brom looked very good. I thought they looked really attack-minded in the first few weeks of the season. They were scoring goals. They were on the front foot. They went the first 10 league games unbeaten. Uh, they were putting the ball in the back of the net frequently. I mean, they put three past Luton, four past Sheffield United, four past Cardiff. And then since then, they've just been really on a, on a decline, really. And since just prior to Christmas, it's it's one win in, in seven league games. As I say, the goals have been really, really short in supply. They've been very, very hard to come by indeed. And it's ultimately ended off the back of two uh, successive 2-0 defeats at home to Preston and then at Millwall. So... I'm not surprised in terms of the form over the last few weeks for a team that's got aspirations of going up, which was obviously the target at the start of the season. But overall, when you think about the challenge that he'd taken on in the summer and obviously trying to breathe new life into West Brom after a relegation, and at the same time, as all considered as a manager that was up and coming after what he'd achieved at Barnsley and everybody expected him to be a roaring success, I thought he yeah, may have given him a little bit longer to prove himself. But They've got to weigh up against what's still realistic and, and possible this season. Obviously, promotion is very much still there for West Brom. The table doesn't lie. They're still in the thick of the playoff battle. So, in that sense, I don't think you can be uh, too surprised. But, in a, in a sense, in one way, I think it's harsh. But in the other direction, I think it's completely justifiable. I'm, I'm presuming that you do understand my thoughts on that with the form in terms of what it's been in the last few weeks compared to over the, the long term. But, like you said... He didn't get enough out of his attacking players in terms of Dean Garner, uh, um, Callum Robinson and uh, Carlin Grant. Even though goals have come, they've not flowed as frequently as they would have liked for players of their quality. And for that instance, it's obviously it's cost him his job ultimately. And the fact that Middlesbrough are breathing down the next, Forest aren't too far behind, Sheffield United are on the charge. West Brom are going to be in a battle to, to get a top six finish. I think the top two is... Well, the mathematics say obviously it's possible. I don't think they've got it in them to, to launch a push unless anything drastic changes. So I think Valerini's mail, I think he'll be I think he'll be very hurt by this because I think he'll have seen this with respect to Barnsley as a massive step up and one one that he deserved after what he'd achieved at Barnsley. Let's not take it away. He doesn't suddenly become a bad manager overnight. But this one is just not worked out and some dodgy results and the lack of putting the ball in the net has cost him dearly and 
it's just a case of West Brom have acted now while they've still got something to achieve. But I still think this will not be the last we've seen of Ballerina Ismail in, in this country. I think he's got more to offer. He's got more to give. And I hope he is back in the dugout soon. But I can understand West Brom's thinking. They've looked at it and thought, we've still got something to play for. Whilst there's that chance, we've got to change it to give us the best possible opportunity with 17 games left. Steve Bruce, of course, has come in. 18-month deal. He's got four promotions on his CV. Of course, much maligned towards the back end of his spell at Newcastle. But we know, and undoubtedly, in the Championship, he knows how to get teams promoted. He's done so on four occasions. I do think, is Steve Bruce going to get more out of their attacking players? If this was a deal until the end of the season, I would understand it more. I think if this was a deal to the end of the season with a man that has got four promotions on his CV and you are just desperate to get promoted then I can understand bringing Steve Bruce in. For me, it, the long-term thought of an 18-month deal, is he going to rebuild this squad? Is he going to put his stamp on it? No, for me, I don't I don't think it's the right choice for an 18-month deal. For the end of the season, I could get. And when I look at the play, people that are out there at the minute, I think there's one obvious name that would tick the box for West Brom, and that was Slavisa Jukanovic. And I know things didn't work out at Sheffield United, but when you think of the reasons why it didn't work out at Sheffield United, West Brom have got the answers to all of it. They've got an abundance of, of attacking players. They play, they've got good midfielders that can play football. This is a squad moulded for Slavisa Jukanovic. With, you know, think of Robinson, Diangana, Grant all interchanging up front in the way that he had at Fulham. I think he would have been a fantastic fit. Now, I don't know. In fact, no, no of course, because uh, I'd be shocked if as part of the deal that saw Jukanovic leave Sheffield United, he's not allowed to work another championship club this season. I know that sometimes happens, but United sacked him at the end of the day. So I would be surprised if that's the case. And I think you can, if you're looking beyond the end of this season, I think Jukanovic was the right man. I like Alex Neal as well. And I think for an 18th month deal, I think I would have also gone for Alex Neal ahead of Steve Bruce because I think Alex Neal's got more to offer long-term. I see Steve Bruce. He already said it was his last job in football at, at Newcastle. He is clearly winding down. Would I want Steve Bruce, who has a habit of also assembling very expensively assembled squads in terms of wages and other aspects in that regard? Would I want him in control for 18 months at this stage in his career? I don't think so. End of the season, totally, I would understand that. But I think a Jukanovic, even an Alex Neal, would have been a better shot beyond this end of the season for an 18-month deal, in my opinion. Yeah, I can see you thinking on that one. It is... To some, possibly a strange appointment, but you can see in a way where West Brom have looked at it and come from and thought he's proven himself as a bit of a specialist in getting out of this division. He's done it four times in the past. Yeah, things didn't work out at Newcastle. It was it was destined to be that way from day one. It was a it was a peculiar appointment at the time, and me and you obviously paid closer to attention to that more than most, considering where he came from. But the the statistics don't lie. He he knows the championship. He knows it well. He's got a very good record. And yeah, there can be questions argued about uh, style of play and things like that. And it may be a little bit dated and things uh, of that mould. But over time, Steve Bruce has proven he can get results playing how he plays. And at the end of the day, under Valerie Ismail, as we said, I think it was last week or the week before, if West Brom were getting results and playing in the same way, the fans wouldn't be too bothered. If West Brom are going to continue playing this bland, boring style of football and they're getting results, not saying there's a guarantee, but if they do, then Steve Bruce will be welcomed with open arms. If you're winning football matches, you can't complain. At the end of the day, if you win 5-0 playing brilliant 
vibrant football or win one nil with a scruffy one off somebody's backside, you only get the same reward in three points. It doesn't matter. So I think I think you've got an argument in saying that it could be a little bit interesting the fact that they've gone for a longer de- uh, deal than the end of the season. But they obviously feel that he's a right fit for what they're trying to achieve. And considering he's a bit of a promotion specialist at this level, I think he ticks boxes. I think a lot of West Brom fans deep down will be prepared to give him a chance, even though obviously the reaction to it hasn't been overly inspiring and brilliant. But a lot of people are going to remember what happened at Newcastle. The limelight was shone on him, obviously, so brightly there, especially at the end with the takeover and all things that went on. But his record speaks for itself in the Championship. Four promotions is no, no easy feat. He's done it, albeit twice at Hull, twice at Birmingham. And personally, I think it's got the potential to work, but it all depends, like you say, what you can get out of these attacking players. The fans are going to expect a better goal return for a start. They've been struggling to score goals. It's that simple. If you're not doing that, then you're not going to win football matches. So that is the ultimate job he's got to achieve. And to be honest with you, I think Steve Bruce, even though he, say, for example, he got them promoted, I don't think it would be the fit moving forward in that sense. But between now and the end of the campaign, I wouldn't rule him out working a little bit of magic from years gone by. But it's a gamble. Every managerial appointment is. Would I have probably gone for somebody else? Probably, yeah. But like I say, I can see West Brom's thinking. But I do agree with you on Djukanovic. I think he would have been an ideal shout with, with what he's done with attacking players in the past, such as at Watford and at Fulham. So I, w- I would certainly see that argument. So it may be one that you know, maybe they've missed missed the beat and gone for the wrong choice in this sense. But Steve Bruce's CV says it all. He knows how to get out of this league. And ultimately, that is West Brom's objective right now. Just finally on this, with Valerie Nismel, it's something that we sort of banded about on Twitter a little bit. Um, do you think a fit return to Barnsley would work till the end of the season? But for both parties, perhaps? Repair a little bit of reputation from Ismail's perspective? Give Barnsley some sort of hope? Because let's face it, they're going down under Asbargi regardless, and that's not necessarily the fault of Asbargi, but it's not had the desired effect, and I don't think I've seen enough to say that you have to let him build next season in League One, in my opinion. Do you think that could work? Well, I don't think it'd do any harm. I mean, the, the fans idolise him. He's he's proven that he knows how to get a tune out of that set of players. Obviously, a different season, different mentality, and different thoughts running through players' mind could play a part, but let's be honest with Barnsley... <laughs> Can it possibly be any worse than what they've got now? Let's be honest, can it be any worse? They've won one game since August. Poyer Asbargi came in, has had no impact whatsoever. Valerie Ismail, in my opinion, and I don't mean any disrespect to Asbargi, is a better manager, proven that with results. So I think if Barnsley were to make a, make a chain for it and have a go, I don't, I don't think it'd be frowned upon by the supporters. There might be one or two that think, well, he, he walked out on us, why should we go back and offer him a job but at the end of the day if he could save Barnsley from relegation which would be a miracle now looking at the table then Barnsley fans would idolise him so I won't rule it out the Barnsley fans from the tweet we put out in the week well last week said that well certainly the overwhelming response was one of positive they'd like him back so for me why not I think it could be the right decision because like I say it can't possibly any worse than what they've got now Worth also touching on that they've appointed a new CEO at West Brom. Uh, Ron Goulet comes in. He certainly isn't popular at Reading. He uh, he was very responsible in their, well, helping to form their financial fair play problems that saw them deducted six points earlier this season, handing big contracts to the likes of Sonny Aluko, who they bought for £7 million from Fulham. 
um, and a few other players as well in that sort of post-Yapstam era after they finished third and lost to Huddersfield the following season under Stam. Obviously went very badly wrong because they recruited very badly in that summer in particular. And instead of bridging that gap to the top two, they fell away massively. And of course, we see them in the financial difficulties they're in today. Fingers crossed from a West Brom point of view that history doesn't repeat itself. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. On to the weekend action now, and we're going to start with the Friday night match at St Andrews, where Birmingham were beaten 2-1 by Sheffield United at St Andrews. United, believe it or not, and this dawned on me when you um, you were talking about that game earlier in the season between West Brom and Sheffield United. Sheffield United are now three points behind West Brom with two games in hand, which is, you know, I know it was, what, September, August when they got battered 4-0 at the Hawthorns, but beggars belief a little bit, really, and by the way, Steve Bruce's first game is back at Bramall Lane, uh, which is obviously where he kick-started his managerial career and, of course, was manager of Sheffield Wednesday, of course, as well. Um, but in terms of the Blades, their record under Paul Heckingbottom has been absolutely fantastic since he came in. Great move for the winner, although, of course, there was a lot of controversy about whether it should have stood. Um, but it was a lovely passing move, very underrated goal, I thought. And Jaden Bogle's been like a, a new man under Paul Heckingbottom since... He took charge. He's been the, the first choice option at right wing back. We didn't see anything of him in the Premier League last season under Chris Wilder. Understandably, given how well Baldock had done in that position and also how the results were, it wasn't an ideal scenario to blood in a, a young player in his debut Premier League season. But he offers them a, a real attacking outlet at right wing back and he's been fantastic. As I say, 19 points out of 24 since Heckingbottom took the job. One defeat. Against Derby, one draw, of course, dropping points late on against Preston. So, really, they should be on 21 points. And that's a fantastic record since replacing Jukanovic in what was a very controversial move. But he's gone back to basics and he's getting the best out of the group of players they've got available. And I think we've seen that with the likes of Bogle coming into form, Connor Hurahan being in much better form since then. Um, I think John Egan's enjoyed being sort of back in the centre of a back three. Those sort of key players that were so instrumental in the sense of Egan and Basham and players like that. They were instrumental, Billy Sharp, to the promotion last time. But then also the new players that were struggling at the start of this season, Bogle not really played. Hurahan looked a shadow of him for myself under Jukanovic, which is surprising, really, because he seems a bit like a Jukanovic kind of player. Um, they've been brilliant. And, and yes, you can debate the the winning goal, which we will. And I think Lee Bowie's got a point. I think it probably should get ruled out because he ultimately is interfering with play and Everidge would just catch the ball in his box if Billy Sharp wasn't there putting him under pressure. So I agree it should have been ruled out. But nonetheless, it's a really nice move. There's a long way. It's not like the ball's gone straight into the back of the net from that header either. It's, a, it's There's a lot developed between that and the ball going into the back of the net. So I'm kind of on the fence with it where, yes, it probably should have been ruled out. But do I think it's a horrendous error that's a disgrace to refereeing? No, not really. Um, he was only marginally offside and ultimately they could have defended the ball a lot better. And it's a really nice goal, which I know really shouldn't really come into it, but it does in my thinking. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's another brilliant win for Sheffield United. Three in a row in the league now, been a, been a good start to the calendar year for them and a great start for Paul Heckingbottom, hasn't it, really? Um, we, I mean, we were very critical, weren't we, of when he got the job. We we're, were very surprised that Sheffield United made such a quick move as well, going for him, obviously lined up straight away after Djukanovic had departed. And it so far has been a stroke of genius from, from the Sheffield United board. I've, I've not seen a lot of the Blades in terms of full matches. 
I saw them at Fulham just prior to Christmas and thought they were excellent that night. Really impressed. And that was only his third game in charge. That was a third win in a row as well. So the fact that he's won three in a row twice already in his first eight is testament to a good job that he's done. And like you say, he's he's breathed life back into some old regulars and also new faces such as Jaden Bogle and obviously Conor Hurahan. We'd not see enough off of the quality that he's got in his locker. But Bogle, I mean... What a run he's on at the minute. Two goals and assist in his last four games. Not a bad return for a for a defender, is it, really? And what a smart finish it was. Well, obviously, we've said about the goal that there's question marks over it, but it was one of those, weren't it, where we've seen it before, we'll see it again. It's just part and parcel of football, really. But smart finish, nevertheless, from a defender who took it really, really well. That little toe poke, just to get it in between the goalkeeper and the post, really smart finish. Billy Sharp would have been proud of that one. So, Sheffield United have got a lot to be rosy about and happy about at the minute. They've been ticking along nicely and I stand by what I said last week. I think it's gone under the radar as well. I do think they've done this under the radar to a lot of other lot of other fans of other clubs. So, you've got to give Paul Heckingbottom huge amounts of credit. And like you've said, they suddenly are very much sneaking up on the top six. They are six points behind Huddersfield, three games in hand on them as well. Sheffield United could could make a late run for this in what is, in my opinion, going to be an impossible race to predict. I mean, for us as neutrals, it's going to be a joy to watch this playoff race. I wouldn't even like to call who's going to sneak in for what you would think at the minute, even though things can change, is the last two places. But Sheffield United over recent weeks have proven themselves that they are genuine candidates to be considered in this battle. So Paul Heckingbottom deserves tremendous applause for that. But... Obviously, it's impossible to say in hindsight, football is a wonderful thing, as we so often say, but just makes you wonder what Sheffield United, where they could have been had they made a change earlier on when Djokanovic was stuttering a little bit. But Paul Heckingbottom, he's defied the odds. And let's be honest, the, the, the mood when he got that job was not good. Sheffield United fans were furious. They thought it was uninspiring. But so far, he's absolutely proven himself to be the right man for the job. And it seems like the players as well are really enjoying playing for him again. Yeah, what's mental is that Sheffield United have got 12 of their last 19 matches at home. So they've got 19 matches left to play in the Championship, 12 of them are at home because they played a lot away already and a lot of the games that were called off over Christmas were due to be played at Bram Lane. So that's a real quirk. It's an opportunity, isn't it? Of the fixture list to, to be aware of when you're looking at that top six battle because Sheffield United can build some momentum at Bram Lane and the home form's been good at Bram Lane under, um, under Heckingbottom. It, and it, it has, a, it has under Heckingbottom. But did you actually realise, looking at the Blades' stats now... It wasn't now, great on may, at all. No, this actually may come as a surprise to you, actually. And it's come as a surprise to me. I've just got it in front of me now. I'm sorry to interrupt. The Blades, only four sides have got worse home record than them this season. Believe it or not, only Fulham and Bournemouth have picked up more points away from home than Sheffield United. That yeah, has caught me by the, surprise. The home record was really poor under Yukanovic. You think of like the defeats to Birmingham on the opening day. They lost home to Blackpool. Plenty yeah. of other results in there where they really struggled. So that 25 points on the road. 25 yeah, points really, on the road. It's really impressive. And that, that sort of resilience yeah. and, and spirit is... I know, only easy. 11 home games they've played all season. Mm. Kind of so, weird, yeah, isn't it? Considering that Sheffield United... 13 to go. At, yeah, yeah, Sheffield United, the least amount of home games played in the Championship. And it's weird, Sheffield Wednesday, the least amount of home games played in League One. It's strange when you look at it that way. It's really weird. But I didn't actually realise that United's away record was so impressive, albeit they've played a few games more than everybody else, bar Preston. But 25 points on the road, that's a very healthy return. That's a full credit to them. They've done excellent. 
So 12 games left to play at home, seven away from home. That's an interesting wrinkle to this playoff battle. In terms of of Birmingham, they will feel aggrieved about the offside decision, but it's also worth pointing out that I thought Illiman and and GI should have had a a penalty in the first half. Obviously, from their point of view, good to see Lyle Taylor still scoring goals. Really nice finish from him. And Birmingham have been more adventurous, definitely. Certainly going forward, they've moved away from the back three, gone to a 4-3-3 system with Hernandez, Taylor and Hogan as their front three, which definitely gives them a lot more going forward but it undoubtedly has made them a little bit more open and leaky at the back. Hull City nil, Preston North End won. Big win this for North End, who deserved the win in my opinion. I thought they, they played really well. It's one defeat in nine games for them on their current run of form, and this one was all about Cameron Archer, who was the star man on loan from Aston Villa, of course, thrusted into the, the spotlight after his January, January edition by scoring a goal away at West Brom. On his debut, I think that one was. Um, and he was he was brilliant here today. He's just a menace. At, at Aston Villa, they call him the little Tevez. And you can see what they're talking about because he's quite diminutive, but plays with a lot of aggression. He presses high, he hassles and harries defenders. You can understand why they would not want to play against him for sure. It'd, be, it'd just be a nightmare for 90 minutes. You're just nipping at your heels like a little Yorkshire Terrier. Um, and he took his goal really well. It was a really nice finish. Alan Brown, of course, had one ruled out just before that, which was handball under the current rules, as accidental as it may have been in him knowing nothing about it. But I thought Cameron Archer was brilliant, and I think he offers a new dimension potentially to Preston up front, playing alongside Emil uh, Rees Jakobsen. I think that potentially could be the, the pairing that could get Preston into the top 10. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the highlights from the game, and Cameron Archer was a constant menace throughout the 90 minutes, wasn't he? He's hit the post in the first half and then took his goal excellently in the second. And yeah, question marks are very raised about the whole defending for that goal. They really have. But Cameron Archer, such a young player, was so cool and calm to finish in the way he did. And Preston have found a real gem in him, that's for sure. I know there was quite a lot of interest and there was some even from League One clubs. So it's uh, clear that he's certainly proven himself at championship level already. And Ryan Lowe just... Overall, for Preston, has just breathed a new lease of life into the club, hasn't he? It's almost like they've been modernised very, very quickly under his tenure and been caught and being dragged, kicking and streaming into the 21st century almost. So, really pleased for them. But Cameron Archer, like you said, he's he's a player that is capable of putting himself about, making things happen, and, and scoring goals. The stats prove it already. And Preston have picked up a real find in him. So. I think they're, they're another side that I think you've got to consider as potentially sneaking into this playoff race. They're only a point behind Sheffield United at the minute, so I think it's only fair to include them in that battle. Obviously, they've played more games than anybody else around of the teams above them, so that might just uh, be their downfall a little bit. But when you when you consider where they were when Frankie McAvoy left and Ryan Lowe came in, the style of play has just been unbelievable in, in, in shifting tight. So, huge credit to Ryan Lowe. He spoke about it after the game on Saturday, saying how he'd changed the style and install it into the players and wanted to bring his own ideas to the table, which every manager does. But they seem to have adapted to it very, very quickly. So that's the pleasing thing for him. And and so far, Preston are absolutely justifying their decision to go for him to replace McAvoy. So really pleased for him. Certainly proving himself at championship level as a manager. And Preston, I think, in the long term, not saying this season... I think they've got the potential to have a really long, good relationship with Ryan Lowe and, and so far, so good. But Cameron Archer, I mean, what a find, what a player. 
Yeah, especially when you consider the fact he doesn't have any previous EFL experience. He was on loan at Solihull Moors in the National League last season. So to take a leap of faith on him till the end of the season at a championship level is a, is a real test of character and also shows what Aston Villa must think of it. Think of him, that he can cut his teeth at that level. The same goes for Ryan Lowe and the, the Preston recruitment team. I do want to just give a bit of credit to Daniel Everson because he made some really important saves, although I thought Preston were good value for the win. He made some really important saves at 0-0 and he really is a top goalkeeper at this level, in my opinion. I've, I, I always rated him. I thought he was very impressive when he was on loan at Rotherham. And he definitely, for me, could be the long-term replacement to Kasper Schmeichel at Leicester when he eventually hangs up his gloves, although that might not be for another year or two. And I think Everson is showing at championship level he, he has the potential to be a Premier League goalkeeper. So they're quite, quite a spoiled for choice because Declan runs a, runs a goal, good goalkeeper as well. But having Daniel Everson, for me, is, is definitely an upgrade. And he made some really good saves, three clean sheets out of four as well. From a whole perspective, I think they could have taken something from this game if they'd scored first. I think if they got that first goal, which again goes back to the importance of those Everson saves, then they might go on and win this with the momentum they've got currently behind them. And their their end of window business, by the way, was, was fantastic to get um, Marcus Force in. That's a really good addition for them, in my opinion, from Brentford on loan. And I don't have any qualms about Hull, really, because of the, the business they did in the window. If they can keep key players fit... Uh, having kept hold of them in the January window, rebuffing big bids for Keen Lewis Potter. There was interest in Jacob Greaves as well. I think they'll be quite. They'll be absolutely fine. Swansea City won Blackburn Rovers nil. Um, no surprise for me that Jamie Patterson back into the team after the end of the Jan- January transfer window and setting up the the winning goal. Lovely teasing cross for Oberfemi to to head into the back of the net. And he's had a bit of a slow start since signing on loan from Blackburn, uh, from Southampton. Sorry, he was linked with Blackburn as well in the summer. He did. Um, he's had a bit of a slow start to life at the Liberty Stadium, but coming into the team, I think now's a good chance for him to sort of stamp his mark. He's not really had many opportunities because Joel Pirro's been playing up front, but Russell Martin went for the pair together with Patterson playing off them and in between the lines, and it was a lovely ball into the box, really nice header, and this could maybe kickstart his season a little bit after joining from Southampton in the summer, as I say. That said... Blackburn missed some absolute sitters, didn't they? I mean, John Buckley scores them in his sleep three weeks ago. Um, Daryl Lenehan at the back post. I don't know what how he's skewed that that so far wide. And despite missing some key men, Blackburn, they still created more than enough to get something from the game. 2.3 XG created to Swansea's 0.something. It was 0.8-ish off the top of my head. Um Ben Burton Diaz obviously didn't play. He was off the bench. Kadri was slightly off form. So there's no reason to panic for Blackburn. They created more than enough. Still missing some key players in that team when you look at the starting eleven and how settled it has been. No Harry Pickering at left wing back, for example. Burton Diaz out of the team. It wasn't the usual starting eleven, and that shows that Blackburn are going to have to keep their key players fit if they're going to maintain an automatic promotion push. But I do think on another day, Blackburn win this game quite comfortably. Although Swansea got a much-needed win and it was a very nice goal, I think Blackburn, if they'd been on the the best form, had the best team out and it had been maybe three or four weeks ago, I think they win this game personally. Yeah, I agree. They they had a hatful of chances. I mean, I watched the first half in its entirety and they had plenty of chances to get back into the game before the break. I didn't see the second half, unfortunately, but seen the highlights of the game and that, that trend did continue of the chances that they had to put the ball in the back of the net. But 
obviously when you when you've been on such a brilliant run like they've been on, and obviously they're firmly still in the shake up for automatic promotion, when they do suffer a little bit of a blip, it becomes under the microscope just that little bit more, doesn't it? And you dive a little bit deeper into the statistics, which is unfortunately, sorry, Blackburn fans, if you're listening, is what I've done. The fact that they've only scored two goals now in six league games is a little bit of a concern. I can't lie. Whether they've been on a good run or not, two goals in six games is a bit worrying. So they've got to find a way to arrest that. Obviously, Brereton Diaz has not been present. That is obviously going to play a big factor in that. But they should at the same time still have enough on that pitch to put the ball in the back of the net when he's not available. Obviously, Sam Gallagher stepped up against Middlesbrough. But I don't know. I'm just I'm a little bit worried as if they're losing their mojo a little bit and they are being dragged back down to earth as though that really good run they've had was kind of a flash in the pan and I'm not being critical. They're still think, in the I think race. That's a little bit harsh and maybe a little bit reactionary. It probably is. It probably is. But I just, I don't know. I'm just a little bit concerned that the goals have dried up so, so significantly when obviously they were scoring so frequent. But they're still in there. Like I say, it's not a major criticism. They are still in there and they deserve to be in there. They're a good side. And like you said, on another day at Swansea, they'd probably win that game two or three one. So it's just, they need a bit of luck to go for them. They've got key players returning now. Got a big push on to go for between now and the end of the season. They're still in there. The FA Cup isn't a distraction to get in the way for them. It's full steam ahead. So if Tony Mowbray can just mould things together like they were and just, just I don't know, maybe just install a little bit more confidence back into them because it's bound to take a little bit of a knock after the last few results. But they're up there for a reason. Only their second think... defeat in 15 games, though. I know. I know. It's just the goals that have just surprised me a little bit. But... I think the business in January was decent. They didn't lose any of their key personnel. I think Ryan, Ryan Giles is a, a fantastic signing. Yep. Fantastic signing. Looked a threat yet on Saturday after uh, Saturday evening, should I say. Looked lively down that left-hand side. Put some good crosses into the box. So I think he'll be a, a brilliant signing for them for the way that they play. So I think there's a lot going for them. But I'm just a little bit concerned about the way the goals have dried up. But I still think they'll be up there come the end of the season, no doubt about it. Funny quote from this game, um, number of crosses in the match, Blackburn 46, Swansea 1. Of course, goals scored from crosses, Blackburn 0, Swansea 1. That's how football works. Um, the championship for you. The championship summed up in a little uh, little nutshell right there. Final game of the weekend to digest, Blackpool 3, Bristol City 1. Blackpool some great goals in this one, particularly Josh Bowlers, which was the pick of the bunch. I love the finish. That was just a man... Oh. Who's got super... ice running through his veins, confidence absolutely brimming. Um, he just toys. I mean, he's in acres of space for a star, which is one thing that we'll discuss in a second. But he just toys with Cameron Pring, cuts inside. You know he's going on his left foot, but he still can't stop it. Um, Arjen Robin-esque as he gets into the penalty area. A little shimmy. And goalkeeper dives straight out of the way. It's a lovely finish. Really good composure. And it's the first time they've, of course, scored three goals at home this season. They've been... Whilst the home form has been good at, Bl- at Bloomfield Road, they've not been frequent scorers at all. I think they're, they're amongst the lowest scorers in the division at home, certainly before the weekend. So nice to see them play with the shackles off a little bit. In turn, Bristol City have got to sort out their defending because particularly the first two goals, they are incredibly soft goals to give away. I mean, a free header from a corner for Gary Medine. If you don't know what Gary Medine's going to try and do in the penalty area from a corner, you're in trouble. So... I like what Nigel Pearson's doing offensively, no doubt. But they've now conceded two or more goals in their last nine games. They've conceded 24 goals, I think it is, in nine games now. That's ridiculous. You cannot ship 
almost, what, two and a half goals a game across a nine-game stint. That is unbelievable amount of goals. Yes, they're doing much better at the top end of the pitch with Martin Semenyo and Weiman. There's lots to be positive about that with the blooding of young players as well. They've got enough experience and quality in that back line. Let's not forget they paid £1.6 million for Rob Atkinson in the summer. Tom Callas was a big money signer. I think they paid £8 million for him at one stage. Yeah, something they, in that region. They've got a lot of experience and perceived quality in defence that even if they are playing a three-man defence and they've got more offensive players in the team. I mean, Jay De Silva's playing at right wing back, who obviously is a left back, but it's not like he's a forward, is it? So I don't understand why they're so bad at the back. I don't think they're that gung-ho going forward that they have to be that bad at the back. I think they can still be decent going forward and just not defend like they're playing under eights football because to concede 24 goals in nine games is shocker. That is a shocker. And I've been quite pleased with Bristol City's progress this season. I think they're trying to rebuild. I like what Pearson's doing. But that's got to change or they're not going to, you know, it's just going to undo all the hard work of Semenyo, environment, etc. You can't go away from home and needing to score two or three goals just to get a point, um, which is why Bristol City are at at the moment. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the defending for the first two goals on, on Saturday was atrocious, let's be honest. It was schoolboy errors. Blackpool had the freedom for the penalty area to convert both goals with Medina and Hamilton. Obviously, the second one, you got to give huge credit to Josh Bowler. It's a lovely finish, lovely footwork, but obviously Bristol City, from their point of view, they'll be they'll be pretty furious about it. But I mean, Bristol City as a whole, come on! They've, they've kept three clean sheets all season in the league. They've kept two since September the sixth. It's it's not good enough. They've not kept a single clean sheet away from home all season. They're leaking goals, like there's like they're literally winning awards for doing it. They'd be getting. They've conceded more than fifty now in the league. For a side, like you said, that has, has invested heavily in its defensive ranks over the years. And obviously, they brought Tim Closer in recently as well, another experienced head. It's not a good look. It's as simple as that. And obviously, they shipped six to um, Fulham not long ago. They conceded three at the weekend, three against Huddersfield just before Christmas. And even when, like we've like you've said, even when they've won games, the last two wins have been 3-2. They've had to score three just to win. So. The defensive issues are seriously serious. I mean, they've won three, two, four times this season. That that's how that highlights the problem, doesn't it? Plain and simple. So Nigel Pearson, as as you've said, he's he's doing a good job in trying to evolve the the image of Bristol City and trying to be this young squad where he's giving the youngsters a chance to develop and things like that. But at the same time, and I, I may get slated for this, I don't know, I might do. A manager of Nigel Pearson's credentials should be getting better results at this level, considering it's not like the career got he's had. Two twenty-year-old centre backs, is it? Like they're trying to exactly. build the, the the young players, but they are generally in wide areas and, or in central midfield. It's not like they've got two twenty-year-olds playing at centre back, and they've got experience around them. Chris Martin at the top end of the pitch, for example, who, who's done pretty well this season, has Andy Vyman. But at the back, like you said, to say it's such a reasonably experienced back line that's had a lot of money invested in it. It's not good enough. The way you think, right, it's not good enough. They're leaking goals like there's no tomorrow. And at the minute, you, you just can't see them arresting that slump, can you, with the way they defend at the weekend? It was so poor. It was so, so sloppy. So Bristol City, for me, are in deep trouble. They've got to, got to find a way to resolve these issues and snap out of them very quickly. Because if they don't, I mean, they, they could very easily be, be dragged into this battle towards the bottom. But... I say that, to be fair, but they're only out of it because the teams below them are even worse. But 
there's a lot for Bristol City and Nigel Pearson over the coming months if he gets to keep his job for them to work on. But defensively, they, they've got to snap out of this now. They can't continue like this, needing to rely on three or four goals just to win a game because it's going to cost them dearly. And at the minute, it's continuing to do that. So the problems lie there with Bristol City. But for me, Nigel Pearson has got to take some of the blame for this. He's got to do better for a manager of his talent. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. To finish off this week's podcast, we're going to do our shocks and bankers now for the upcoming Championship weekend. There is a full slate of fixtures in midweek, but as usual, we're going to look ahead to the weekend matches. George, what have you got? Well, this weekend I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a big shock. I'm gonna go for Hull to win at home to Fulham. I could see that happening. I know they lost at the weekend to Preston North End, but Hull they've had the ability to spring a surprise or two in recent weeks. Beat Blackburn, of course. Beat, beat uh, Bournemouth away from home. So they've got it within the locker. I know they lost to Preston, but the club at the minute is on an upward curve. There's a lot of feel good factor around the place. So I'm going for Hull to beat Fulham. My shock in terms of a banker this weekend. I'm going to go for Nottingham Forest to win at home to Stoke City. Forest flying along at the minute. Obviously, a tremendous result in the FA Cup on Sunday afternoon against Leicester City. And it just epitomises what Steve Cooper is doing at the minute on a real roll. I know they lost to Cardiff last time out in the league, but wow, what what a run they're on. They're doing fantastic things. So, no uh, hesitation in being brave enough to go for that this weekend. So, the shock being Hull at home to Fulham and the banker being Forest at home to Stoke. Yeah, Forest were fantastic. I watched that game this afternoon. They were brilliant against Leicester. It was it was like a Premier League team against a Championship side, all right, but the opposite way round, that's for sure. And Leicester, well, went, I'm... Leicester went strong as well for what they've got available. Obviously, they've got injuries in defence, but they weren't as strong as they could, pretty much. And I've Forrest not seen the goals yet, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to go and watch the highlights shortly. I've not seen them yet. You're in for a treat. Um, my shot and banker. For my banker, I'm going for QPR to win at Barnsley. Um, QPR in great form at the minute. In the championship, obviously in third, vying for automatic promotion. Barnsley are pretty dreadful, despite a slightly better performance against Bournemouth last weekend when they faced off in the championship. I still think that QPR will be too strong with the, the talents they've got going forward. And then my shock is Blackpool to beat Bournemouth. Um, I think that Neil Critchley's side are more than capable of getting a result against Scott Parker's men, especially when you look at how they frustrated Fulham in, in their recent fixture, I think that they could do something very similar against Bournemouth and potentially give them a bloody nose on the counter-attack. So Blackpool to beat Bournemouth and QPR to win at Barnsley are my shots and bankers. That marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. If you do enjoy the podcast, please make sure you subscribe in your usual podcast app and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Sharing the podcast helps to go a long way to help us reach new listeners. So if you do enjoy the weekly breakdowns, please drop a retweet on the episodes as soon as they go live. And you can support this podcast with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. The link to donate is in our podcast description if you do feel so inclined. And we are very grateful for those donations that come in. Have a great week and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.